as we are in this series on decisions, today we are looking at the decision that Judas made towards Jesus. And so we're going to be reading two passages. Um, The first is from Matthew in the 26th chapter, uh, verses 1 through 14. And this is how Judas came to make the decision to betray Jesus. And then the second passage is in the 27th chapter of Matthew. um, And it is what happened to Judas after he made that decision. When Jesus had finished saying all of these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, whenever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. After Judas had betrayed Jesus, and um, this is what Judas's response was. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money in the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy Potter's Field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the Field of Blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the Potter's Field as the Lord commanded me. Church, will you pray with me? God, we can scarcely bear to look at this part of the story, but we know even and especially here, we can learn the power and beauty of your mercy and grace. 
So God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us and that you um, would speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. If you watched the Super Bowl this year, you probably noticed that there were two Jesus commercials. One of them was a montage of different people washing one another's feet. And the tagline at the end was, Jesus didn't preach hate. He washed feet. He gets us. And people had a lot of opinions about those commercials. Some people thought they were too liberal. Some people thought they were too conservative. But there is a pastor named Mark Driscoll, if you know, you know, (laughs) who put out a tweet in response to that commercial of different people washing one another's feet. And what he said in response was, yes, Jesus washed Judas's feet, and then he sent him to hell. Hashtag he gets us. That's a stunning takeaway. But it is kind of the central question that everybody asks about Judas, isn't it? Why did he do what he did, and what happened to him? In the beginning of chapter 26, Matthew tells us that Jesus had finished saying all these things. At this point in the gospel, Jesus has said everything. He has taught everything that anyone needs to know to follow him to the cross. And while Jesus, for a while, has been telling the disciples that he is going to Jerusalem to die... But after Jesus has said all of these things, his teaching ministry is completed. And so he doesn't just tell them that he's going to die. He tells them exactly when. He says, you know, the Passover is in two days, and that's when the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And then Matthew shows us the chief priests and Caiaphas plotting, deciding to kill Jesus. And they say, well, we're going we're gonna to get rid of him. We're going to neutralize this threat, but we're not going to do it during the Passover or else there might be a riot among the people. And Matthew is showing us that Jesus is controlling his death, not his enemies. And it's at that point that a woman enters the house where Jesus and his disciples are, and she is carrying an alabaster jar full of very expensive perfume. She comes in, and with no one's permission, she pours the oil on his head. And the disciples are confused, and they're annoyed. They say, this is wasteful. This this perfume should have been sold, and the money given to the poor... In the ancient Near East, there are two times that bodies are anointed. Prophets anointed the heads of kings to consecrate them for royalty. And women anointed the bodies of the dead to prepare them for burial. And so here in this moment, Jesus and the woman understand that she is doing both. And while human kings 
end their reign when they die. Jesus, holy king of kings, he becomes king. He steps onto his throne at the moment of his death. So she is a prophet. She is consecrating him king, and she is anointing his body for burial in this moment. And Judas is watching. Judas, who, like all the others, has left his whole life behind to follow Jesus. Judas, who is called Iscariot, which means zealot or rebel. So Judas had left everything in his life behind to follow Jesus because he hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. And he was there when Jesus had his triumphant entry into the, into the city of Jerusalem. And he saw G Jesus go into the temple and turn the tables and call out the corrupt leadership. Judas has been waiting for Jesus to seize the moment and step into his kingdom, seize the throne and deliver the, deliver the people from their oppressors to liberate the chosen people as God has promised. But in that moment, when Judas sees the woman anoint Jesus king, and then here's what Jesus says about his kingship, that he is going to die that he's the kind of king who will give up his life. And like all the other disciples, Judas had heard Jesus talk about how he was going to Jerusalem to die. But like all the other disciples, like us now, it's easy to ignore the parts of Jesus that we don't understand and aren't fond of. But in this moment, Jesus makes it clear that he's not going to be the kind of king that Judas is hoping for. He is going to be the kind of king who dies for his people, not who kills for them. In two days, he's going to hand himself over to death. And Judas isn't interested in that. So he goes to the priests and he asks what they will pay him to betray Jesus. And they count out for him 30 pieces of silver and that is not very much money at all. The cost of betraying Jesus is actually very low, especially in contrast to the incredible expense of the oil that the woman poured on Jesus' head. It takes so little to betray Jesus and costs a fortune to love him. But after Judas betrays Jesus, almost immediately after, when he sees Jesus led away to Pilate to be, to be killed, Judas is filled with remorse. He has a change of heart. He regrets it. And he runs to the temple with his 30 silver coins and he finds the priests and the elders and, and he is in remorse, he is filled with remorse and he confesses to them. He says, I have sinned, I have betrayed innocent blood. And they say to him, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. You deal with it by yourself. Judas has run to the temple in agony, full of guilt and remorse, confessing his sin. He's seeking forgiveness in some kind of way forward. And what he hears from the holy ones is, that's your problem, not ours. There's no help for you here. There's no hope for you here. And I wonder how often for all of our talk of forgiveness, 
I wonder how often it is that the people who are in the greatest spiritual agony come to a church desperate for forgiveness and hope and spiritual support and hear the same kind of response from us. What you've done is your problem. It's got nothing to do with us. Deal with it yourself. And of course, Judas can't deal with it himself. He's full of guilt and remorse, and he's made a confession of sin. But instead of grace and hope, what he hears is condemnation. And he can't bear this guilt, and he's overwhelmed by despair. And so he takes his own life. And the question for all of us is what happens to people who betray Jesus? Because Judas betrayed Jesus, but he's not the only one. All of Jesus' friends, except for the women, all of Jesus' friends betray him, deny him, abandon him. And Judas' betrayal looks different, but he's not the only one who betrays. And here's the thing, church. To be a person of faith, to be a person who believes in Jesus and decides to be a disciple, to be a person of faith in Jesus really is also to be a person who frequently betrays Jesus. To be a person of faith is also to be a person who betrays faith. And if you don't think that that's true for you, then you are probably not taking the teaching of Jesus seriously enough. To be a person of faith is also to be a person who betrays faith. It was true of the people of Israel. That's the story we see again and again in the Hebrew Bible. The people put their faith in God. They committed to keeping the covenant, and they also turned away from God and broke the covenant. They had faith. They betrayed their faith over and over and over again. And through it all, God never abandoned them. God never rejected them. God never gave up on them. The people were not faithful to God, but God was always faithful to the people. To be a person of faith is also to be a person who betrays faith. It was true of the disciples. They put their faith in Jesus, and they also betrayed him and denied him. They came to faith, and they abandoned their faith, and then they came back to faith. And through it all, Jesus was faithful to them, faithful even to death. It's true for Israel. It's true for the disciples, and it's true for us. We have faith in Jesus, and we also betray our faith. We know how Jesus calls us to live, but taking his grace for granted, we go our own way. We do what we like. We do what seems best in our eyes. Like Paul, we do the things we don't want to do, and we don't do the things we do want to do. We are a people of faith, and we are also wretched sometimes. To be a person of faith is to be a person who knows how easy it is to betray that faith. And that makes it really important for all of us to know, how does Jesus feel about the people who betray him? How does Jesus handle betrayal? When he was sitting with his friends at the Passover table, Jesus said, 
one of you is going to betray me. And they all said, surely not me, surely not me, surely not me. And Judas too said, surely not I, teacher. And Jesus said, yes, it's you. How does Jesus handle the one who betrayed him? And the very next thing Jesus did was take bread and give thanks to God for it and break it and say, this is my body broken for you. Eat of it, all of you. And after they had all eaten from the bread, Judas, who had betrayed him, and all the other disciples who were denying and abandoning him, after he had fed them all from the bread, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks to God for it as well. And then he said to them, this cup is my blood poured out not for condemnation, but for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. How does Jesus handle the people who betray him? He feeds them with the bread of life. He gives them the cup of salvation. Friends, we gather around this table proclaiming the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. And what we proclaim here is that the most powerful force in all of creation is the mercy and love of our Savior, Jesus Christ.